Hey, Wompod listeners, just a quick note to let you know there's some explicit language in this episode, and I don't think I can get more explicit than that. Okay, enjoy the show. All right, are you recording? Yep. All right, Michael Rosenbaum. Hi, Anson Mount. This has been great. Mike, you just interviewed me for your podcast, yeah. and now I'm going to interview you on your equipment for my podcast. This the Well is the Pod. ultimate meta modern actors experience, interviewing each other. Right for our podcast so so that we can catch up. this funny thing that happens to you when you begin reaching toward that slightly dented mile marker called middle age. Sometimes you can look over in the lane next to you and see an old friend you haven't seen in a while and wave them over for a quick coffee just to catch up for a bit. And what's funny is that you suddenly find yourself discussing very different things than the last time you saw this person. It's not so much about the passing romances or the vagaries of your chosen industry or really anything either of you used to think was important. Now, you and your friend are suddenly talking about all the truth you've uncovered. And I don't mean truth like it's good to install carbon monoxide alarms in your home, which, frankly, it is. You should definitely do that. But I mean more the truth about life. Crazy, ephemeral, far-out things. Had someone said these things to you when you were in your 20s, or maybe even in your 30s, it would have sounded to you like they were speaking an obscure dialect of old Flemish. But now... Realizing that someone else has had these same realizations solidifies in you the sneaking suspicion you've had for a while that maybe, well, maybe you've grown up. I feel like that's what happened to me and Michael Rosenbaum a few months ago. We hadn't seen each other in years. Michael and I kind of came up together in the industry. I did one of my earliest films with him. It's called Pool Hall Junkies. It's pretty good. Check it out sometime if you're interested in seeing a much younger us pulling off billiard shots we couldn't do now to save our lives. Michael and I went on to stay in touch. At one point I did an episode of his show Smallville, in which we had an axe fight to the death aboard a commuter train. Spoiler alert, he won. We partied together in LA, in Las Vegas where we played a blackjack tournament with Dustin Hoffman, true story, in Mexico where we went completely overboard with Gary Busey, Jonathan Silverman, and gold medal winner Tara Lipinski. So much so that I have a very vivid memory of a set of ambulance doors closing on me as Michael, with a guitar slung over his shoulder and strumming Lovin' Rockets' So Alive, gave me a smile and sang, Hope you survive! Side note, my hospitalization was due to dehydration and nothing else you're probably thinking right now. Suffice to say, we knew each other well enough to know that we were both completely irresponsible, self-absorbed, neurotic little Hollywood shits. 
And then I moved back to New York, Michael stayed in L.A., and life happened. Sure, there's the professional stuff. We both did lots of movies and TV shows. Both of us, and completely unbeknownst to one another, tried our hands at stand-up comedy. We faced challenges, both emotional and physical. True to that statement, our time to catch up was shorter than expected as Michael had to get to a post-op check-in with his neck surgeon. So all of this is just to say that in the following interview, while Michael and I do get around to discussing his current creative path, I didn't want to skip over the catch-up part of the conversation. Because it's interesting, I think, to see yourself in the mirror of a relationship you haven't attended to for a while. When you say, wow, I've learned some things. You've learned some things. We're maturing? Holy shit. What I haven't seen you in years. Yeah. What have you, any major life lessons occurred? Well, yeah, last year um, I got sick for a little while. Um, I got mono. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now they thought it was Lyme disease. I, I've only talked about this once, but it's not a big deal. But like at first, I thought mono. I'm like, oh my god, I can't tell anybody I had mono because they'll think it's. But it's it's actually 99 percent of people have either had mono or don't know they had it. And I went to many doctors and. Then this one Lyme special says, you have Lyme. And then I went to a disease, uh, uh, infectious disease guy, the head at Cedars, and they're like, you don't have anything but mono. You're completely healthy. You got mono because you were in what's called fight or flight mode all the time because I was trying stand-up. I was now doing music. I was doing podcasts. I was doing, I was nonstop. Um, and I was like nervous the whole day getting ready to do stand-up. And my body was just, it just shut down eventually. If yeah. you're always in fight or flight, there's all this shit with cortisol levels and and I just I just shut down and I there's a tired when you're saying like I'm tired but you go ah I'm going to go to the gym anyway. This was the kind of tired where like your body's like you ain't going to the gym today. You sitting right there motherfucker. I don't know why I jumped in the shaft voice. But that's <laughs> what my body was telling me. So for like and unfortunately when you get mono as an adult and it's not just the kissing disease I might have got it in Mexico while I was drinking water or something. You can get it from anywhere and but I didn't get laid in high school, so if it's a kissing disease, it's there was a reason why I didn't get in high school. Like you're supposed to get it. But I was uh, I was out, and it could last six months to a year as an adult, which it did. It just took the life out of me, oh, and wow. energy wise. So I had to focus then on. I pushed through doing stand up, pushed through doing music, went to Germany, toured to tons of conventions, all like suffering, just like exhaustion. And now I've been getting better, but then of course I had this herniation in my neck, and I just ended up having surgery on my neck in November. So it was I went through a horrible breakup. So last year oh, was the most the toughest year of my life because I'm used to working and doing this and that, and all of a sudden I'm just like, you got to take care of yourself. And sometimes your body, I think always your body will say, "Fuck you. This is yeah. It's time to take care of you and not worry about this and this. And you have to make money and you have to make, do this job." I just, you know, and so this year, I said this year was the year of recovery and discovery. Mm. I, I want to discover myself, really discover through just being more present. Like, you know, people talk about ad nauseum. I just want to be, you know, find out who I really am because I don't want to be 85 years old and go, dude, what are you, what are you doing? Right. Who are you? What yeah. are you? Why are you? <laughs> you oh, know, so that's, that's sort of, that's what I've been doing, brother. Well, I don't think, yeah, I don't think that fight or flight is a good place f from which to do our work as actors anyways. It, you know, when you get right down to it, it's fear-driven. 
and I, I taught for a while since, I, since I've seen you. You've I, taught? I've taught, yeah. Well, one of the things I always told my students <clears throat> is that when you're young, when you're a young actor, a lot of young actors, they think that adrenaline is their friend and that adrenaline is going to pump you up and give you the super energy to tackle this role or this scene or this play. And that's actually not true because adrenaline, it literally changes the chemistry of your brain. You know, we've all had those moments where we think they got the lines and then we walk on stage and the lines are gone because yep. your, the chemistry of your brain is, is, has changed. Adrenaline is there so that if we run into a bear, <laughs> yep. we can either fight the bear to the death <laughs> or we can run away faster from the bear. That's what it's there for. And I, 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 Submit that the two worst responses you want to have when you walk onto a stage is to fight or to run. <laughs> I, you know, it's so funny. I never really thought about that. I never until now, and I've been to therapists, but, and I don't know what happened because as I got older and older, that perfectionism, that wanting to be the best, wanting to be this one, yeah. somehow I had the energy. So it made, what just clicked in my head when you were talking about this was that adrenaline that I had that I was using that I shouldn't have like, it wasn't as healthy maybe as I thought. I was getting by with that mm. adrenaline. Mm. I was getting by because I was young and my testosterone and, I'm, and, I, could, and I, could, I could power through it. Okay. I wouldn't be as exhausted. But then when you get to a certain age, you're like, you're, you're, just, you're destroying your body. Yeah. You're just constantly worrying too much, hurting too much, fight or flight too much. And that's... I, that's funny. I was having this conversation with Exhibit for the podcast, and and I said, "Have you gotten to that point in life where you ask yourself, when did everything start?" And he finished my sentence. He said, "Start to hurt." <laughs> I'll tell you about yeah. that. <laughs> it's weird. Man. But when you say hurt, you don't even mean physically. Oh. You mean physically oh, and mentally. I mean physically. <laughs> you mean physically? <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. I know about that. I know about that. Uh, oh, this sucks. Getting older. Well, dude, I've had, you know, from hockey and I, I've had like five back surgeries, neck surgery, yeah. been put under. But, you know, it's a funny thing is I always think, God, I should. And I'm thinking about this. I'm thinking about going on tour to all these universities and talking to students and saying, hey, you fuckers. I remember being like you thinking, oh, I could do this. I could do that. It's not going to hurt me. Fuck this old guy telling me like, oh, hey, be careful. When you get older, you're going to feel it. I feel it. I'm telling you, trust me. Take care of yourselves now, yeah. because I didn't. I didn't you listen were to anybody. Born with a bad back too, because you, you've had a real rough go of it. I had a real rough go, but I remember it started at working at a grocery store, and I drive like we were we used to throw these boxes off the trucks that were delivering all these boxes, like what, Del Monte fruit and shit like that. And right. I remember something shifted, and then I started playing hockey, and then it just got progressively worse. But uh, yeah, I mean, I've always had pain. I've had pain since I'm 17 years old. I've been living in pain. It's, it's your attitude fun. about life is so incredible, especially given that I know that like you're, you are consistently one of the most positive people that I've ever met. I, uh, I, you know, I, I, you're right, but you're also, sometimes things get to you. I'm human mm -hmm. and sometimes I'll obsess over things or be, you know, um, I'm insatiable or, uh, you know, this needs to get done. I need to do this. I, I'm very hard on myself and I could like inadvertently like want, I could be a lot, but I try to be happy. I tr I really do. I really like, I try to enjoy life. I try to go to the, we're going to this thing, a, a yacht rock 
on Friday. It's a yacht rock, a band called Yachtly Crew. And they play like, uh, you know, old 70 songs. And I'm getting a big group of, fan, of friends. And I go do game nights. And I do because the kid in me, the inner child, I've got to keep that going because life isn't easy all the time. Life is hard and people have it way worse than I do. Mm. But if you don't keep it fun, if you don't do things that really you enjoy, it that's when it, it could be uh, overwhelming. Yeah, that's that's another thing that I would tell these students is that what took me a couple of years to figure out after graduate school is that when you get out, they tell you, okay, yeah, you have to pay your own rent. Yeah, you have to um, you have to work a little harder to see your friends. But what they don't tell you is that you are now in charge of your own happiness, and it's actually work. And you have to learn what makes you happy and how to get that in your life in order to be a functioning adult in the world. Yeah, well, they say, I think you're born genetically with like, you can control happiness. There's a certain percent like you're, you can't like, like mental illness or things. There's like 40 or 50% of you that's born with a certain, whatever that is. And, but the other part you can really work on. Right. So if you say, Oh, I'm born with this manic depression or I'm, you know, that's an illness. That's something that needs to be worked on. But if you can take the other 50% and really work on yourself and go to therapy and there's no reason why you can't have happiness or you have some happiness as opposed to just folding. So I have manic depression in my family. I have a lot of these things. And, you know, my grandmother, she would just, for many, many years, all I remember is her sitting in her nightgown on her bed, popping pills and watching all in the family. And I'd watch with her. And I miss those times. But at the same time, I go, she could get out. She could get up. She could go for a walk around the neighborhood. She could go to the city with us she could she was always saying i'm too tired i can't do this and i think a lot of it was depression a lot of it was just you know maybe the wear and tear of she worked so hard as uh you know growing up and supporting her husband who my grandfather worked in a garage uh, working on cars he was a mechanic and didn't make much money went from one garage to the other garage and you know she had to take care of the family and then her his parents moved in she took care of them and then her parents moved in, and then our, my family moved in with her for a year, and so she was always taking care of everybody. And one day, she just goes, "I think her energy was done." She just at like you know sixty or whatever it was, and I think, "Am I turning into my grandmother? Am I sort of like she died at seventy-two? Mm. You know, my grandfather died at sixty-four. Oh. You know, my other grandfather." And uh, I try to be happy. I really do try. That is the goal: is to like. Wake up and go, I, I feel like shit. I'm irritable about something. But then Jess, my assistant, walks in. I go, hey, how you doing? What's going on? Rob, you know, Rob, my producer uh, for my podcast, he walks in the house. And, you know, I don't want to hug him. But I, I just go, you know what? I love Rob. I'm going to give Rob a hug. Even though I feel like shit, I'm in a little pain. I don't, I'm going to do something against what I'm feeling. And that makes me feel good. Yeah. It almost gives me a relief to just go give a hug to my friend. Say, hey, something nice to somebody. Uh, shoot a text. How was your date, Rob? Dancing. It, it is a choice, but it takes life experience to know that that works for you. Yeah. Right? And for you specifically. Do you still exercise? Yeah, yeah. I, um, right now for my neck, I'm doing physical therapy two or three times a week, and I train twice a week. And once I'm able to play hockey again, I'm going to start. Even though that's stupid, yeah. it's a non-check league. I don't know. I'm and gonna... it's not stupid, man. Cardio is the best drug out there. It is, but you know, there's that risk of like, you know, running into someone. Even though it's not check, you still inadvertently bump people and hit people. And right. 
Um, no, but yeah, you you gotta exercise. That that's honestly the key. If yeah. you don't do something, it's so important for the mind. Your mind gets fucked. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I absolutely agree. Yeah, and it, it it's so hard to get yourself off of the couch sometimes, but once you get into the habit, it's just uh, it it changes everything. Yeah, and it's also like we're so absorbed as actors. It's like you know. You're always doing something like I'm doing conventions and I'm writing a movie, a horror movie, and we're trying to shell a show and I'm doing this. And it's like, I don't have time to take care of myself. Oh, I have yeah. all these. You you think in your fucking feeble mind that all these other things will make you feel good and happy. But if you don't exercise. Oh, yeah. And leave your phone behind. I'm trying. I'm really you know, I'm trying. And just have some silence in your heartbeat for a little bit. What do you it's suggest? So I mean, I'm not. I'm not completely silent. I listen to a lot of podcasts. Obviously. You know, you said something on my podcast that really made sense. You said this was perfect for me, this mm -hmm. medium, because I'm forced to listen. Right. Because I have such ADD and I'm all over the place. But the, you're right. This is like hearing you talk about things makes me think. It makes me go. Already, I think I've learned a couple of things from you telling what your your students giving your students advice. Mm -hmm. I'm your student right now. Oh, okay. I'm gonna start listening to you. That's a lot of pressure. No, I don't think so. I think it's like I think we learn every day, and it's, it's funny how I learn from I can learn from anybody. So, uh, you said the breakup was hard. It's, oh, you're gonna bring that up? It's well, we don't have to talk about it. If you want to no, 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 no. But it's 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 hard going back to being on your own because it can feel quite lonely for a while yeah you know a lot of times my friends will say you can't be alone mm -hmm. you always need someone over the house and I, I you know as much as i fight it and i think that's like oh my god that sounds so sad to admit i can't admit that i can't admit that i don't like being alone fuck you guys i could be alone i was alone last night for like three hours i watched a movie a documentary i played with my dogs i watered the grass I fucking was alone and I'm getting defensive about it. And I'm like, but the thought of being alone is I actually like it's deeper and sadder when you or scary when you get older and you have nobody. Mm -hmm. But that's not what I strive for. I'm not like this player who just wants to go out and get laid. I think in my 20s and 30s. I, first of all, I was never a player. People say you can call guys players when they were, you know, right. when I was a young actor and a player. Let me differentiate a player is someone who will do anything he can tell a girl anything to get laid right that was never me i was always the guy who was like i'm not looking for anything i'm not want to be in a relationship ah this is me i'm a goofball i don't give a fuck and that's it so there was no like you know that's the difference but um as i got older in my th mid 30s i started getting into relationships and then i sort of say wow this is actually fun to have someone to turn to, to have someone to look forward to, to have someone enjoy the things you're doing and not taking all that time, wasted time of like texting three girls or uh, going out. Like, so it just, it just became some sort of this redundancy, this, this cyclical, sad fucking thing that went nowhere every time. But when I'm able to connect with someone and have something like a semblance of a relationship, it is nice that you're like, I don't, I, th this person's here. This is, is going to come out. I'm going to hang with just this person. And when you find, look, you have to go through a lot of people to get the right one. And I haven't found the right one. I've let the right one go. I've been there and that hurts, but I think that's life. And, um, but ultimately, I do want a, a healthy relationship. I, I want somebody who, 
that's why I answer. I throw everything out on the table. I don't want to waste six months of you figuring out who I am. I fart. I sometimes shit with the door open because I don't want to miss what's going on in the other room. I want to hear. You occasionally pull out your junk. Well, I don't do that anymore. I I would do it in front of my friends only. Yes. Yeah, you were my friend. (laughs) Guys. But with the whole movement and stuff, you could, yeah, I don't think oh, I could. No. I, I don't think I could even show it to you now. No. No, I could. No, no. I could show it my dick to you if I wanted to right here in my house. Please don't. I won't. But um, <laughs> but mine wasn't a sexual thing. Mine was like you know you hear you hear like uh, shock factor. Yeah, and it was never in front of women. It was always dudes, which also is a weird thing. <laughs> <laughs> and it was also all my friends. But that's. Uh, Anyway, um, you know, look, I want what you have. You have a really, you have a really, I know we got off on a tangent, but you have a, you have a great relationship and like, you know, yeah. to find somebody that you just want to like going, Hey, I love being around this person. You will. You it's will. sad. It's, I, I definitely want You're too that. too good of a guy not to fight. Well, you I'm will. a good guy, but I'm, I'm not easy. And you know what it is? And I've been told this by all my friends. You're, you're, you're too picky with things. You nitpick every little thing. So that, and look, nine, look, I always it shouldn't say, be a question. It shouldn't, it shouldn't be, a question. be a question. And, and you will know. You'll know. You'll know. Yeah, well, 99% of the time it doesn't work anyway, right? And the 1% right. of the time it does, it ends up half the time in divorce. So you have a half a percent chance of making it. Right, right. Is that a terrible way to look at it? No, I don't know. I don't think so. I think it's good to be wary. I think it's good to be... I'm, you know, you, you're you doing what I did. I decided to skip the first marriage and divorce. <laughs> <laughs> yeah right I've seen a lot of people go through that and I didn't want to do that and I, I can't afford I, that I, now that I now that I, I met my wife I know why what I was waiting for I didn't I didn't always know what it looked like or what it what it felt like but I did thankfully wake up um, and realize that I'd found it when I did well the things in the beginning where you were like I don't know. Wow, there's that. I'm not really attracted. I mean, I'm sure there's things that she's not perfect. You're not perfect. There's got to be things that bother her about you and vice versa. Mm. Fuck off. You found the one, didn't you? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Hey, Wallpod listeners. We want to thank you for listening to our podcast. We hope you enjoy it as much as we enjoy making it. But it is a lot of hours on our end. From the recording to the editing to tracking down our next guest, all of which we really enjoy. But we enjoy it more when we know more people are listening. So if you could do us a favor and let your friends know about it. That could be a shout out on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook, or just turning to the person who works next to you at the office and saying, hey, check out this podcast. I kind of like it. Word of mouth is our best advertisement, and we want to keep growing this campfire circle. Also, If you'd like to receive our newsletter, go to our website, thewellpod.com, and click the Newsletter tab. Newsletters go out semi-regularly or when we have something cool to announce. Okay, back to the show. So, what I want to talk to you about is that you you mentioned you were recording an album. Oh, no. And I've known you forever, and I've (laughs) known you to, to always carry your guitar with you, but it always seemed like this kind of like, thing you would give your hands to do to keep occupied it, it something that you were f- good at clearly had an ear and it enjoyed doing but I, I was surprised to hear that you're cutting an album what's yeah, going on you know what first of all i wouldn't say i was i, I don't want to put myself down but I, you know i wasn't a real seasoned musician i never got lessons i never I could ne- never really sing. Some songs you go, wow, you sound pretty good. And some songs I'd be awful. Mm. So I just was like not a trained singer. I never expected. 
But deep down, I always thought, I want to be a rock star. I want to play music. And the only thing that stopped me and doing stand-up, oh, I want to be, I want to do stand-up. I want to get up there. I could, I could be funny. And the only thing that stopped me was fear. It was always fear. It was always going, but there's people that are so much more funnier. There's people that are way funnier than me. So many people. And there's people that are way, way better guitar player. I'm not a good. And they're way better singers. So why would I even try when I can't be as good as them? So that was the mentality. Mm -hmm. And it's still sort of, it's, go, it's starting to like, look, one day... I'm in my basement with my buddies. My right. friend Kent, my friend Tom, who I've known 35 years. My friend Carl. Carl never played bass. Kent really never did drums. Tom does whatever. Uh, and Rob was the only like guitarist that was a real guitarist. And he knew music. And we were just like playing covers terribly. I'm not, I'm not even making a joke. We play, everybody's working for the weekend. Mm. And I'm like, we're terrible. No one would ever <laughs> listen to us. And then Kent said something like, well, let's just do our own stuff. And I had a scrapbook full of songs that I'd written and never did anything with. And I'm like, hey, I'm not good. I'm not going to show these to people. So I said, fuck it. So I started just writing songs and bringing them down. And I play rhythm guitar. I can't pluck, but I could play rhythm pretty good. And I'd bring some songs down. We'd just start jamming. And about six months into it, realized... I don't know about you guys, but some of this doesn't suck. Loving me, loving myself, working on my state of mental health. Just be friends, but I'm standing here full of emptiness. I confess, I'm a beautiful man. Holding on. And then my friend Jason Manns, who produces a bunch of stuff, he's like, Hey, why don't you play three songs at the Troubadour and open for us? I'm like, Nope, no thanks. He's like, What do you mean? I'm like, uh, this is the town of where all James Taylor and Frank Zappa and the Eagles and everybody's playing the Troubadour and all these talented people and they've been playing their whole lives. And this is and this is Mr. Actor Guy who's producing and directing and acting and all these things. Oh, oh, look, he's become a... Oh, now he wants to be a musician. And how many actors become musicians and they suck, right? Oh, They're just like, oh have, my God, we gotta go see another actor play? I felt like I had more to lose because... If I go do this, I'll be on YouTube embarrassed and everybody will say, oh my God, look at this fucking idiot. He sucks. And I realized how egotistical, what's the word, narcissistic fucking like who, when I realized who gives a fuck, like nobody cares that much about you. Stop taking yourself so seriously. And I still am working on that. So I did, I wrote three songs and when we played at the Troubadour and it was packed and we got up there and... I, I 
got up and the audience, it was that feeling when I was an actor, when I got up the first time, I go, I think this is genuine. I think people really like what you did. And my brother looked at me and goes, I've never seen you that happy. I go, what? He goes, I thought you guys were great, but regardless of how great or how bad or whatever you were, I've never seen you light up like that. And I don't even know when. And that, I'd never forget, I never forgot that. And then they asked us to play at the hotel cafe. And then the next thing we played five songs. I had to write two more songs. He goes, come to Germany. You're going to do a little tour. I'm like, I don't know what's happening. I'm taking away all this time from acting and all these other things to do stand-up comedy and play music. And I'm terrified. And this is where all the fight or flight thing came from, where I just started you know, getting so... And I just kept doing it. And the next thing you know, we're like, the guy goes, Jason says, why don't we produce an album? I'll produce your album. And I go, I mean, do you think anybody will listen to the, our songs? We're like sort of 70s meets the 90s meets a little bit of today. But we're like, it's our own shit. It's what I love. And he's like, let's just do it. Never been in a studio before, really. Got in there, didn't know what a click track was. We ended up not using a click track and sort of playing live and miking each instrument. Then the band would play and I'd have to get in the in by myself with a microphone and sing. This is the guy who, uh, a year and a half before when the band started, going, who wants to sing? And they're like, not me, I'm not. I'm like, dude, I don't want to sing. Finally, I go, you know, fuck it, all right, I'll sing because we're not going to go anywhere, who cares? I'll sing in the, my basement. And so now we've recorded 11 songs. We have one more session and then a mastering. And then we're going to put our album out. And we're going to Germany. We're invited again. And people are what? people are digging it. And I, look, I don't know if it's if we're going to eventually have thousands of fans or just a couple hundred fans. But I'll tell you, it's, it's really, I feel creative again. I feel like. I'm sort of like, uh, I, I get distracted easily. So acting sort of, not that it became boring, but I just felt like I wasn't challenged and I just didn't want to do it because my agent needed a commission or my, you know, I just felt like I want to do it. I'm not making any money. I mean, we made $300 each in Germany. You know, it's it's not about the money, but I just feel like I love writing songs. I love singing songs. I love when people like the songs it's a great feeling, and uh, so I can't believe I'm sitting here talking to you about the, my band, Left on Laurel, and our album's coming out. I, it's, I never believe when people are like going, follow your dreams, man. Go Follow your gut. Dude, I always went against it. I was like, dude, you're not good at this. You'll never be that good. Stop it. Stop it. And I go, but you like it. Mm -hmm. Isn't that all that matters is you like it. I love music. I love music like nobody else. I have, I could tell you who. Yeah. You if do. you if you play a song from the seventies to about ninety three, yeah. yeah, I could tell you who you, sang you, it you, and always, what year it was. You've always been in love with that era, and I, I loved it. But what gets me about what you just told me is like, here's all this stuff, this happiness, this album, these this dates in Germany, this new experience the the broadening of your love for music and it was all just waiting for you for you right on the other side of this bullshit fear that was just mythology you know and how many people don't say fuck it and step across that fear step across that line 
it, most people would not do that. They would just succumb to the fear. But I, I love that you, you had all of these pseudo instincts telling you not to do it. And you just did it. Well, you know what, though? When, when you thought that it's funny how, how my brain chemistry is, because I was actually agreeing with you and disagreeing with you, what you just said at the same time, because I thought you're like, you have the ability to take that fear and then go for it. And then I'm like, but look at all the anxiety it's given me and all the, as, as all the happiness it gives you too. But like, listen, the, the chances are you're going to do it and you're going to get up on stage and you're going to fail. Mm. And that's how you become better. But if you honestly, it's so stupid and cliche, but people say, if you don't fail, you're never going to really mm. succeed, I guess, or whatever. And you need to fail mm. to become better. And oh, yeah. my therapist was like, I want you to fail. I want you to fail more. So you have more drive and say, I'm going to go up and be better. And how do I become better? Because most of what I do in my life has come through fear of like, I got to be great. I got to be on top of it. I got to be memorable. People have to love me. People have to... And the reality is they don't. You need to have fun doing these things. And if you could find the fun, if you can get on stage or whatever you're doing or try art or anything you fear, and if you could just say, I'm enjoying this and get to that point where you're like, I'm just enjoying what I'm doing, that is, to me, the most important thing. Absolutely. And I, I'm, I'm trying. It's called, well, that's why it's called a play, Right. Right. And not an emote. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. It is. But you know that what you just we're said playing. reminded me of uh of when we were shooting Pool Hall Junkies. Oh yeah. And I don't know if you remember this, but I kinda I worked my way into the graces of Rod Steiger, which it turned out to be his last movie. We didn't know that at the time. But I would go and have lunch with Rod in his, his trailer every day. And I was mystified by how he was working. And Walken had a similar quality, but every take was completely different. Anything that worked for him in one take, he would throw it away the next. So he was in the moment. He was completely in the moment. And he was just, I couldn't believe how different every take was. And they all worked. Wow. And, I, and one day I said, I have to ask you what it is you're, you're doing. Because just these ideas are coming out of nowhere. And they, they all seem to work. But they're so different each time. And you're just you're giving the filmmaker and the editor so much to work with. I want to be able to do that. How do I do that? And he said, "Kid, I'm scared shitless, and so are you. And until you admit to yourself that you're scared, you're never going to be an actor, because fear is energy, and you can use that, but you got to recognize what it is first. That's <laughs> profound, but it's also like, at the same time, like I had an anxiety attack and I was doing the series called Impastor. It was the second season, episode eight. I'm the lead, I'm in every scene, and I get anxiety attack. I, I didn't know what it was. And the doctor says, your vitals are all fine. Have you ever had an anxiety attack? And I'm like, oh my God. This is from all whatever. And then I started to have some anxiety attacks, which put me in a shell like I was like I don't want to do this anymore I feared going out there and doing what I loved and I had to try to get over that it became this like thing where I'm like why am I scared why am I afraid why am I putting so much on this like it's so important what's the worst that could happen you know and but if I just embrace it more like you said like like Rod said if I just said hey this is fear 
You're being, you're scared. Embrace it. You're okay. You're not going to yeah. die. You're scared. Let's go out and have fun. But somehow physiologically, my body changes when I get scared. Like when I go on to play music, all of a sudden I have to take three shits before I go out there. Right. All of a sudden I have to, you know, I have to focus. I could come like, I'm like, why can't I just have fun? Like acting like I used to like be laughing and fucking like, you're on. Let's go on stage. We know the song. Boom. Play. Have fun. When I have fun, I see it. And then I get mad at myself and I go, you see that when you're having fun, how great that feeling is. So why, what's blocking you? What, why can't, why does this have to repeat itself? Why do you have to always get that, those nerves up and then you succeed and then you're like, oh, I feel great. Of course that I could do this. And then, it, but it repeats itself. But I think if you just didn't like, it's tough. I think I'm just overall, I'm just too hard on myself. Mm-hmm. I think that's the thing. Have you, have you been there where you're just so hard on yourself that it like gets in the way of your work? Oh, of course. That, that's, all, I think that happens with time. me. And you can't, you can't make yourself be not afraid. It doesn't work. It's like saying, don't think about pink elephants. Like this is impossible. Right. You, I think that, I think it, we just get better at knowing what it is about the experience that is, like you said, fun for us. And choosing to be brave enough to gravitate towards that and understand that your training and your experience as an artist will be there to support you. Yeah. You know, I did um, I did a set at this. I'll never forget this. I did. This is how fucked up I can be. I did stand up at the Laugh Factory one. I did 25 minutes. Oh, my God. Pat crowd. And this is oh, about yeah. four months, five months into doing it. And I killed it. I mean, this nice. is one of the best sets I've ever done. Nice. And I was playing with the audience and fucking with them. And some confidence got into me that I just felt like I could be with the best. I could do this. I've been only doing this for a couple months. And I, it, in a couple years, I'll be. And I got off stage. And the guy who runs the Laugh Factory, the head guy, comes up to me and goes, How long have you been doing this? And I go, like three or four months. He goes, I don't tell anybody this. Ask anybody. You got it. You have got it. Whatever you're doing up there, you just keep doing it. You have got that thing. I don't see it often, but you got it. Right. And now normally, the young me would go out there and go, oh, my God, yeah, I got a fucking got it. That was the worst thing he could have done to me. <laughs> it scared me and put me in my shell. Like I'm like, now I have to, the next time I go up, I have to be better. I have to be better. And if he sees me fail, he's I'm going to disappoint him. <laughs> now, where does that come from? That's like dad shit, isn't it? That's like fucked up. I was up. the opposite. I was like, I killed my first open mic night. And then I was like, oh, I got this. <laughs> I watched it. I watched it. I watched your tape. And then the next time I went up, I bombed. And I was, oh, Did you what feel am I doing wrong? And then I was insecure about what I was doing. So suddenly there's this question about how am i doing it and then the next time i killed i was like oh i found it again and do you get bombed. lightheaded it's up and down up and down up and down a little bit when you're on stage and all of a sudden you're like oh my god i'm bombing and some joke doesn't land you get red-faced uh, and kind of nervous no i just keep going yeah you keep going but but i i think you know like i, I realized that what i when i was feeling confident what i was doing is unintentionally indicating where i wanted the audience to laugh rather than not knowing if they were going to laugh and just having right. my own experience you know, so that my, my, you know, I was more ego laden. You're, 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 you're dealing with insecurity. I'm, I'm a neurotic Jew. Well, it sounds like you should keep doing it, man. I agree. I mean, uh, it, I'm a work in progress. I just really, you know, 
I wish I envy those actors like Kristen Bell who just really doesn't get nervous. Like I interviewed her and she's like, she's also has the best gift in the world, which is she's a photographic memory. Mm. So she reads a script and she could learn that she can go in the day of their filming and look at two pages and be done and ready to roll where I need it for three days. And I stress about it and I'm anxiety and you know, uh, I'm I'm I'm, all, I'm I'm a young man. But I'm already thinking about getting an earwig. What do they call wow. it? Earwigs? Yeah. I mean, not because of memory, but I'm like, wow, Robert Downey Jr. uses an earwig for lines, and Brando used it. Why can't I use it? Mm. Watch. You know what an earwig is, right? Yeah. Well, you're, I don't know if your audience says, but you put it in, they feed you the lines, but right. no one sees it. So, in instance, say something to me. You feed me my lines, and I'll speak them. Lovely day we're having. Lovely on the beach. day we're having at the beach, isn't it? <laughs> You're good at that. You're good at that. <laughs> Some people say we did it our own way and didn't follow anyone on our way to the sun. What did they see? Everything we wanted to be Did our best to hide and run Make them think we were the lucky ones So after that, we wrapped it up, said goodbye. Michael had to go see his next surgeon. I had to go run the LA Marathon followed by some CrossFit training. I'm joking, Michael. You're not the only one who's aging. And I'm aging gratefully, I think. In particular, I'm grateful for the people in my life who remain as uncertain as myself about what it all means, but selfless enough to know that we're not supposed to have the answer to life. Only it's gorgeous, gorgeous question. You see, for people like Michael and hopefully for myself. The ability to look at ourselves is just as important as the ability to look at our work. Of course, both of those endeavors seem frightening because they both require honest self-assessment. And honesty, for an artist, is not a conditional relationship. It's a constant off of which we check ourselves continually. But without that willingness to look at ourselves in the cold light of day, we'd never know what we really need to keep going to keep stretching, to keep happy. And we sure as hell wouldn't get to enjoy moments like this, when we kick back with a cup of coffee and an old friend and enjoy the view from the mile marker. And it ended far too soon Had a sights upon the moon Just want you to know The Well is produced, recorded, and edited by Brandon Edgens and myself, Anson Mount. Theme music by Jonathan Myberg. 
Special thanks for this episode go out to Michael Rosenbaum for taking the time to sit down with me. Take care of your neck, Mike. We need ya. If you'd like to hear Michael's band, Left on Laurel, their debut album, Saved by the Ground, is available on iTunes right now. Go check it out. Oh, and he also has a podcast. It's called Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum. Go check that out, too. It's a lot of fun. And until next time, everyone, have a great week. Thank you.